thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Our today's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, um, verses 3 to 12. Uh, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, good morning. Uh, Would you join with me in prayer as I begin? Father, we thank you uh, that you are here and you are present by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray this morning that we uh, would receive that invitation to follow Jesus. And Father, that we would have soft hearts and open minds, uh, willing to respond to that invitation and to walk into this life that you are inviting us into and all the joy and the goodness and the extraordinary transformation that that brings. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it's great to be a part of this service and uh, to kind of have that sense that God is speaking through all of the different kind of components of it. I've really enjoyed uh, what Mel has brought uh, this morning and really resonate with kind of her story in those songs. In this series, uh, we have been exploring what it means to follow Jesus, kind of hence the title. And we've been taking time to investigate and explore um, all that Jesus is inviting us into through the words of Matthew's gospel, recognizing Jesus' call to follow first, but also where that following causes this kind of crisis of faith for us. Uh, where it begins to demand a decision from us, calling us to believe and then to go on following. And last week, Mark uh, spoke about um, how Matthew is building our expectations about Jesus and the way that he's written uh, this gospel. He's building our expectations, uh, and ultimately, he sets Jesus up as someone, if followed, who will change our lives. So today we come to this passage in Matthew 5, and a little bit before uh, the passage that we've had read to us this morning, we hear and we can read this story of how Jesus has changed in a really significant way uh, the lives of many people, uh, crowds of people in major cities in what we would now know as Israel and Jordan. Miraculous healing of diseases, of sickness, and even those that were suffering under demonic possession. And for those like the fishermen that we've heard Jesus call a little earlier in our series, he, who called, uh, he called as disciples, who've just seen this extraordinary series of events happen uh, kind of as they follow Jesus on this kind of almost itinerant movement throughout this region. 
this is likely going to be raising some questions within them. And perhaps, if not quite a crisis yet of faith, we're beginning to lean that way. And now with this crowd in tow, uh, Jesus gathering his disciples closer to him, heads up this mountain, which is probably more likely a hill, uh, to teach these disciples, and the, the kind of wider crowd are within earshot. And sitting down, Jesus begins uh, this sermon, this, uh, this lesson. He's teaching them, and he starts to drop these pretty incredible truths Uh, These radical and extraordinary ideas for this gathered group. And here Jesus describes uh, a list of characteristics of those who are considered blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We'll get to that. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, that's probably going to resonate with some of the crowd that's gathered here. Blessed are those who mourn, or as this term can also mean, blessed are those who suffer, is a term that's going to connect with those who have suffered for years under uh, sickness or disease or demonic possession or who have lived alongside a loved one who has experienced this extraordinary suffering for a significant period of their lives. And Jesus has come into their world, and he has healed them. And this is almost the most extraordinary expression of comfort. But Jesus continues. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of me. You can almost begin to hear some of the internal monologue of the disciples going on right now. Hang on, Jesus. This is getting rather serious, and I haven't known you that long. Persecution? Crikey. This sounds more serious than the failing to hit Zebedee's fresh fish quota, or anything else that we've suffered under in our lives. And I am still trying to get to grips with what you are on about with this whole kingdom of heaven thing. And this is clearly pretty significant and challenging stuff. For those sitting there. And it's probably quite important because Jesus takes two more chapters on this sermon. And and isn't this pretty challenging for us too? I don't know how you have read this, maybe for the first time today or uh, previously, historically, you've come to this passage. But I look at all of the reasons that these people are considered blessed the ways that Jesus describes they are blessed. And I'm like, yeah, I think my life is a long way short of this. I have mourned sometimes, and and occasionally I think I've been merciful. But pure in heart? Yeah, I I don't know how honestly I can say that's true of my life. But you may have found that this passage of Scripture, these Beatitudes, have brought uh, great comfort to you in the place of suffering. Or you may find it very challenging to hear. But what is Jesus actually saying here? Well, let me tell you a story before we explore that a bit further. One of my best friends is called Matt, and 
not Matt Willis, our youth uh, and young adults coordinator here. He is a good friend of mine. Uh, but he is not an ice climber. And my other friend, Matt, is an ice climber. He loves to head out to glaciers and climb up these uh, massive walls of ice. And Matt, just out of uh, interest for you, he said I could share this story, so I'm not betraying any confidences. But he went on this ice climbing trip to New Zealand with his friend Scotty. And halfway up uh, the glacier, um, before dawn, they, they were kind of, they'd set up camp and they were uh, camping there. And in order to reach the summit of this glacier, they had to set off before it got light in order to then be back down to the tent before it got dark again, which was really important. Now, climbing, when you're climbing ice, one of the most important pieces of equipment are sunglasses. Because when you are climbing a glacier, you are surrounded by a diamond-like surface that is doing its level best to concentrate all of the ferocious rays of the sun into your face. And if you don't have sunglasses, you're going to get sunburnt eyeballs. And having sunburnt eyes makes it very difficult to see. And it's very important that you can see when you're ice climbing. But you don't need sunglasses while it's still dark. So shortly after dawn, halfway up this glacier, Matt reached into his pocket to put on the sunglasses that were still in his tent. The desire to reach the top of this glacier meant they couldn't turn back now. So by mid-afternoon, Matt's eyes were inevitably burnt. And then the blizzard hit. They tried uh, to wait it out. They spent time just hanging there on this glacial face. But the weather had set in, and by now, Matt had pretty much lost his vision. He uh, describes this moment as like having his eyeballs sandpapered. The decision was desperately clear for them. They had to turn back. They had to head back down to the tent. And for the remaining hours of daylight, Matt had to put his life in Scotty's hands, humbly letting Scotty lead him back down the glacier, aware that it was his mistake that kind of had them in this situation. Matt had to follow Scotty's every movement. He had to relearn the glacier from Scotty. He had to trust that Scotty knew exactly what he was doing. And Matt was entirely dependent upon him. Matt also said not to make him look dumb. So I should also add that Matt is usually the person who is saving people's lives. We all make mistakes. So coming back down the glacier to this hill and this sermon that Jesus is giving to this crowd of people, have you, like many uh, perhaps of the, the crowd gathering there must have, ever wondered how we're meant to connect with this uh, extremely challenging passage? Or have you found this passage to be one of great comfort, but you didn't really know what it meant? Well, here's how and what. The heart 
of this sermon hangs on the first indicator that Jesus gives of what the blessed life looks like. Verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what does that mean? Does that mean that I have to be depressed? No. Blessed are the poor in spirit means that I have to be humbly dependent upon Jesus and not myself. Humbly dependent upon Jesus and not myself. It means following Jesus, trusting him, learning all of life from him, leaning not on our own understanding, but leaning into Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't spell out the opposite side of the story here. He doesn't describe what life is like for those who aren't blessed, but there is a subtext that is emerging here. And in our following, and in the following for those that were literally there, the gathered crowd, they're beginning to rub up against this crisis of faith. But what Jesus is doing here at the beginning of this extraordinary sermon is invite people into life. Invite people into life with him, life with Jesus. And he's highlighting what that life is meant to look like and that only he can make it possible to live. And this life Jesus describes here, he is calling the kingdom of heaven. And yes, the kingdom of heaven, this idea, has got eternity in mind, but it is very much a real and present reality right here, right now. It certainly doesn't just come in the future. We're told this already in chapter 4, verse 17. The kingdom has come near. But what is the kingdom of heaven? And what are the characteristics of citizens of this kingdom? Well, first, we have to take a look back in history at, at what was expected. The Jews had waited for a long time to be replanted back in their land with a king to rule over them. If we take a look at Amos 9, verse 15, we see this. I will plant Israel in their own land and never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them. This is a promise for Israel to be planted back in the land. And then in this kingdom, this land, they were also promised a king. In Micah 5 verse 2 it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, one who will be a king over Israel. And along with this expectation of this kingdom and of this king were the expectations of what the king would look like. A king like King David, or the most recent good one, uh, King Josiah, 
in 640 BC because there had been a series of horrendous disappointments when it came to kings for Israel. And in fact, since 1 Samuel 20, Israel had demanded a king like the other nations to rule over them and to go out before them, to fight their battles for them, that they'd be a strong and politically powerful king who would bring this rule. And their expectation, well, was not really much like Jesus at all. The people of Israel expected this overpowering new ruling kingdom with an appropriate Aragorn-like sword-wielding king who would lead them into battle and fight their battles for them. And here, well, they got Jesus. And now he is describing what this kingdom is going to look like. After announcing in a way that some were beginning to get, that this all starts with humble dependence upon him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and we cannot forget this. We cannot miss this. Jesus begins to describe what citizens of the kingdom look like. Blessed are the meek, those who walk in love towards others. Not those who have become a doormat to be walked all over, but those whose desire is for others' best before their own. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who desire with all the fiber of their being God's intended characteristics for their lives, that they will become who God intended. Blessed are the merciful, whose desire is not only not to harm another, but whose desire is to go further and to care, to provide for, to look after those that are lost, those that are suffering, those that are in need. Blessed are those persecuted because of their commitment to Jesus, whose desire is to keep on trusting God even in the face of extraordinary opposition. We don't have time to look at all of these. But what Jesus has set up here against the expectation of power, strength, and accomplishment is to reveal the way of surrender, of vulnerability, and of dependence. Jesus has turned expectations upside down, right side up. This looked nothing like the kingdom the Jews were expecting. And to be honest, it looked nothing like a kingdom in the traditional sense. But the kingdom of heaven is where the will of the king is done. The kingdom of heaven is where the will of the king is done. And where the will of the king is done is in the lives of those who submit to the rule of the king, who will follow the king, who will choose to follow Jesus, learning life from Jesus. But for those of us who have followed Jesus for many years, 
Do you ever ask, why doesn't my life look much more like this? Is this even attainable? I was a pretty sensitive child, and I was often affected by people's opinion of me. And I used to do my level best to correct those opinions. And this pattern somehow slipped into the formation of my faith. I began to work really hard at the right sorts of Christian things to do. I was super keen to be a pastor at a much younger age than anyone else that I knew. And deep down, I wanted to be known as righteous. I truly wanted to live in a deeper relationship with God, but I think I wanted that so that others would notice. I wanted to marry the perfect Christian partner for perfect Christian ministry. And I even began to gain a pretty good reputation in my church in London. And then in the middle of two years' worth of interviews for selection, for ordination to become a minister in the Church of England, and in the middle of my engagement, I had a breakdown. And I called off my engagement. And I stepped out of this process to become a vicar in the Church of England. My faith was shaken. And my faith had been shaken because it wasn't, it looked like it was built upon this life, learning to follow Jesus. It looked like it was built upon the sorts of things that Jesus is describing here. But it wasn't. I had looked at passages like this one in Matthew and other passages in the Bible And I had tried to do these things, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be meek, to pursue peace at all costs, to become the perfectly married Christian pastor. But I had missed what it means to first be poor in spirit to be humbly and entirely dependent upon Jesus and not myself. To submit the rule of my kingdom to the king of the heavenly kingdom. And over the last 10 years, I have been relearning what it means to follow Jesus. Relearning this life following him. And Jesus is changing my life. I've become a pastor, as you may know. But I did it God's way. I got married, but by God's grace. And I am even getting better at not being so driven by other people's opinion of me. I am a work in progress. If you have sat there and you have thought, I have got to work much harder at these Beatitudes, then hear this first. 
without Jesus to follow, we are stuck up a glacier. And unless we humbly submit our lives to him, dependent on following him, learning this life from Jesus, walking into life with him, then we are going to die up there. These characteristics of citizens of the kingdom of heaven are ones that are enabled by God at work within us. We cannot do this without Jesus. We cannot walk in this landscape unless we are walking with Jesus. We cannot put rules and boundaries upon our faith and think that that will solve it all for us. We are called into a relationship with the God who created us and who is inviting us into the best way to live. Throughout this series... We are learning what it means to live this life following Jesus. To learn life from him. And we are going to learn more of what this life looks like over the course of the coming weeks. But here is an important next step that I believe that Jesus is inviting us maybe to take for the first time this morning. Will we choose to be humbly and entirely dependent upon Jesus? Following him, learning this life from him, and letting him rule our lives to dethrone us and let him be the king.